Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Well, you guys are here for such a time as this. Today is a very important day, and I'm glad that you chose to be here. I'm not sure why the enemy is so upset about me bringing you this message today, but I've been suffering the consequences of his wrath since 3 a.m. this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. But I stand my ground. I could have very easily stayed home today as I was curled up in a ball in my bed this morning. And I said, nope, I don't bow to sickness. I don't bow to pain. I get up and I do what God asked me to do. So here I am, and I'm glad you're here too. In case you don't know me, I see some new faces in the room. So glad you're here with us. My name's Cade. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And at No Limits, we're here so you can come in to get equipped to go out and make a difference for the kingdom of God. So throughout the year, I normally group my messages into series so that we can tackle a specific subject thoroughly. Uh, But in the summer, we kind of change things up a bit. During June and July, we bring you something different each week, a different topic, a different speaker. It's just a great time to enjoy variety that's in the body of Christ. We've had three great messages so far. You can find them all on YouTube or um, on our website. And the last time I spoke, I answered common questions that Christians have about LGBTQ. And what's interesting about that message is it's really gotten out there. There's a pastor um, that is actually showing that message to his church this morning. (laughs) I know. It is awesome. He called me and he's like, Cade, will you shoot a little intro video for my church so that I can show your message? Because I just don't know anybody who's explained it quite that well. So, I mean, what a blessing that that message is going out like that. But that message was kind of like a reprimand to the body of Christ. So today I have a refreshing message for you. It may not look like it because of what's on the screen behind me, right? But today's message is titled Peace and Joy in the End Times. The End Time Church is going to be marked by peace and joy. While the world is in self-destruction mode, we're going to be having the time of our lives as we experience the promises of God more than we ever have before. That's our destiny, and that's our assignment and our place in the end times. This is not something we're waiting on either. It's something that's already coming alive on the inside of us right now. The Holy Spirit is stirring up joy, and he's stirring up peace in the body of Christ. Anybody? Anybody notice it? This joy is not going to be some fleeting feeling of happiness. I love what Dylan spoke on this morning about the feeling thing. No, that's not what joy is. This is going to be bubbling up from the inside. Like we won't even be able to express in words like how joyful we are. I don't know how to explain this, but I'm just so joyful. And the peace, it's going to, it's going to come not because of our circumstances being ideal. Y'all, we're still going to have to pay high gas prices. We're still going to be persecuted. It's just going to happen. But we're going to have peace through it all, God's peace, which is unexplainable peace. People are going to ask, what is wrong with you? And you're going to say, nothing. I just have this joy that I can't figure out how to express. And I have so much peace. It's great. It's great. What's wrong with you? So while the world is cowering down in fear and oppression, we stand in complete confidence of Almighty God. Why? Because he gave us a promise about the end times in Luke chapter 21, and everyone will hate you because you are my followers. 
Okay, that's a promise. Maybe not the encouraging one, but let me take you to the next one, the next verse. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. Not a hair on my head will perish. And that is why I will go forth and speak with great boldness and great courage because I know God himself is watching over my life and he will see to it that I fulfill this assignment. Church, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Yes, the world hates you because you're following Jesus, but they can't do anything to you. They can't. God himself is watching over you. He will protect you. He will provide for you. No matter what's going on in the world around us, even in extreme violence, even in famine, we will be taken care of. It's a promise from Almighty God. So the question is, how do we experience this inexpressible joy and unexplainable peace in the end times of all times, right? Because I look around and I see that some believers are and some believers aren't. This is not an indicator of whether you're saved or not. It's not an indicator. No, salvation is yours because Jesus Christ is your Lord. Nobody can take that away from you. Only you can take it away from yourself by choosing Jesus not being your Lord anymore. But there are people who are truly saved and are missing out on this joy and peace because they're unaware of what Jesus told us to do in the end times. Did you know he told us to do something? But after today, you're going to know what to do. And when you do it, inexpressible joy unexplainable peace is going to rush into your life and overtake you. So what did Jesus tell us to do during the end times? Well, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus lists off the signs of the end times. He said there will be deception, wars, threats of wars, earthquakes, famines, plagues. Nations will be in turmoil. Followers of Jesus are going to be persecuted. Even those closest to you are going to betray you. There will be strange signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. If this doesn't describe where we are right now, I don't know what does. He didn't say, but he didn't say to go and hide when these things happen. He didn't say that. He didn't say store up years of food in an underground shelter. He didn't say that. He didn't say we would be sad and depressed, but just hang on because heaven is near people. No, he didn't say that. Here's what he told us to do during the end times. He said, so when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Jesus made it really simple for us. There are two things we need to do during the end times. Stand and look up. We get ourselves in trouble with verses like this because we read over them real quick. We think we got it, and then we move on. That's why so many believers are struggling right now. So let's break this down, because understanding this one instruction from Jesus is what's going to bring the peace and the joy into your life during these last days. Number one, stand. First thing Jesus said to do, stand. What does he mean by that? Obviously, this goes beyond physically standing. I've never had great peace and joy come into my life just because I stood up. (laughs) Do you know who explains what Jesus meant when he said to stand? The Apostle Paul. Take a look in Ephesians chapter 6. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. He goes on to explain how we don't war against flesh and blood. Y'all, we're not warring against each other. We're warring against the evil spirits and the mighty powers of darkness. And then he breaks it down for us. What does it look like to put on God's armor? 
He says, stand your ground. He says, stand again. There it is. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. I've, met, I've read this many times over the years. And if you've been in church for long, you've heard the, the armor message like how many times? A lot of times. But reading it now as we're actually living in the end times, it's absolutely amazing how relevant this is to where we are right now. I mean, he starts off telling us to put on truth and righteousness. What are the two things that are most under attack right now? Truth and righteousness. Man, people actually believe it's okay to kill a baby through abortion. They're not just saying that. They actually believe it. They believe it. They really think that there's more than two genders and you can't figure out which one that you are. I mean, it sounds like nonsense, but they really believe it. They really believe it. The, right, the unrighteousness of homosexuality has become something to be proud of, right? So truth and righteousness, they're just constantly under attack, under attack. And I even saw last week where Kamala Harris said that the Supreme Court protecting our right to carry guns is against the Constitution, Against the Constitution, let me read you the Second Amendment, word for word. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So, y'all, it's not only truth in the Word of God that's under attack. Truth in general is under attack. I mean, this woman who claims to be our vice president, I don't buy it, by the way. She claims to be our vice president. She lies about the Constitution, and people believe it. They believe it. Would you just go read that one sentence yourself? (laughs) It's plain for all to see. And that's why you must put on truth. And you must put on God's righteousness. Because if you don't, the enemy will clothe you with lies and unrighteousness. And there ain't no peace and joy in that. I can tell you that right now. So next, the Apostle Paul said to put on your shoes of peace. And I'm going to talk about peace here in a bit. But in addition to truth, righteousness, and peace, we are to put up our shield of faith. Again, so relevant to where we are right now. I mean, consider the pandemic. You were told to mask up, distance yourself, hang out in your house for months upon months. And along the way, there were Christians who decided to put up their shield of faith and venture out. And man, were they slandered. Man. We found out that faith in God and faith in God's word is no longer something to be celebrated. It's no longer a virtue, according to the world. It's seen as unloving and irresponsible. But now you know, the enemy was just trying to get you to put down your shield of faith so that he could hit you with his fiery dart of COVID. Lift up your shield of faith, people of God. You got to lift it up. It is how you protect yourself from the enemy. Lift it up. How does faith come? By hearing the word of God. Y'all, you must get in the word of God every day. You must get in the word of God every day. I'm sorry that I say that in like every one of my messages, but you got to get in the word of God every day. It is more important now than ever. You will be deceived if you don't get into the word of God because that is the only place where truth lives. Will you hear my heart on this? Get in the word every day. I don't care if you don't want to. Open up that book and let God speak to you because you're going to be encouraged. It's going to be good. All right. Finally, put on your helmet of salvation. Did you know that remembering your salvation in Jesus Christ is what protects the part of you that controls every other part of you? you got to remind yourself, I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm putting on his righteousness. This ain't mine. I got his righteousness. So now that you have your armor on, you're supposed to pull out the sword of the spirit, right? Which is the word of God coming out of your mouth to destroy the enemy. How did Jesus defeat the enemy in the wilderness? By speaking the word speaking the word of God. How are you going to destroy the enemy? By speaking the word of God. Did you know I destroy darkness every time I get up here and speak the word of God? 
swords flying out of my mouth. The Apostle Paul ends by giving us a bonus tip. Anybody like a good bonus tip? He said, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. How often are we to pray in the spirit? And on every occasion. If you've received your prayer language from the Holy Spirit, you need to pray in tongues every day (laughs) during these last days. Open your Bible every day. Pray in the spirit every day. And do it multiple times a day because it'll really help you out. And if you have not received your prayer language, just ask for it. The Holy Spirit will give it to you. And you're going to love it. So when Jesus said to stand, that's what he was talking about. He was saying, listen, the enemy is going to be on a rampage in these last days. Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. By arming yourself with truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and the word of God. Stand firm. Do not be deceived. If you're hiding out while the enemy's on a rampage, you're not going to have peace and joy. If you cower under the pressure of the threats of the ungodly and the self-righteous, you're not going to have peace and joy. You're forfeiting. If you want to experience inexpressible joy and unexplainable peace that's available to you during those last days, you must stand firm. Plant your feet in the word of God and don't give an inch, not one. All right, number two, look up. Once again, this is figurative, not literally. He's not saying to walk around looking up all day, right? So what's he saying? Well, let me tell you about a man of God named Stephen who demonstrated this for us in the book of Acts. Stephen came on the scene in Acts chapter 6 to help the apostles solve a problem. You see, the church people were complaining because they they thought that, you know, some were getting more food than others in the daily food distribution. Everyone wanted the apostles to get in the middle of the issue, but the apostles didn't do that. Instead, they called a meeting and said, hey, guys, (laughs) we can't spend time over there because we got to focus on teaching the word of God. So we're going to appoint some people to take care of this. And they appointed seven men who were well-respected and full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit to handle issues like this. And one of these men was Stephen. Most would assume that since Stephen was on the hospitality team, instead of teaching the word of God like the apostles, he must have been unable to work miracles and things like that, right? But here's what Acts chapter 6 verse 8 says. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. So I want to encourage those of you who work in hospitality or in the kids' ministry here at church, your role does not disqualify you from demonstrating God's grace and power. Woo! That's right! Stephen, the guy who was appointed to take care of the daily food distribution, was performing amazing miracles while he was fulfilling his role in hospitality. Man, that's good. That was just a little side thing for you little bonus thing. But actually, he was so bold in his faith that some of the Jews started to debate with him. Stephen was a bold guy, man. Fiery. Kind of like Robin. Yep. But none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit in which Stephen spoke. Since they couldn't win the debate, they lied about Stephen and said that he had blasphemed Moses and he had even blasphemed God. And he was then arrested and brought before the high council. And the high priest asked Stephen, he said, are your accusations true? Are these accusations true? Stephen didn't respond with a yes or no. He responded with a lengthy sermon about the history of Israel 
he started with Abraham and made his way all the way to Solomon. And I'm sure they were pleased with the wisdom that he had about the Old Testament. I mean, he had yet to say anything that they would disagree with. I mean, they were probably like, wow, this guy's not too bad. But then Stephen let loose with a stern rebuke. He said, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Whoa, Stephen. Come on, man. That's not very Christian. We're supposed to be calm and permissive. Most importantly, we are not supposed to judge, and that was pretty judgy. It really was. And I use sarcasm to make a point. True love does not stay silent about things that lead people away from Jesus. It doesn't. True love confronts these things with boldness, with courage, and without apology. You don't apologize because people got upset. Remember, Stephen was full of God's grace and power. Remember when we read that? He was full of God's grace and power. So this is what God's grace and his power sounds like. Wow. Probably not what you expected. Amazing. How do you think the Jewish leaders responded to such a stern rebuke coming from somebody who was on the Christian hospitality team? As you can imagine, they were infuriated. They even shook their fists at him in rage. If you want to see a modern example of this, here's what you do. You open up Facebook and you post this. If you side with abortion, you side with Satan. Post. Watch them rage in the comments. Rage, rage, rage. So what did Stephen do while they were raging? Well, take a look. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There it is. While everybody around him was raging, Stephen looked up and he didn't just glance. He looked steadfastly into heaven. That means he blocked out everything else and he focused on God. Stephen was so focused on heaven that when they killed him shortly thereafter, yeah, he made him that mad that they killed him. The last thing he did, he fell to his knees, and here's what he said. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. I can just imagine him saying that with a smile on his face. There he was being stoned to death for speaking truth, and he wasn't mad. He wasn't upset. He was full of peace and joy because he was looking up. So look up. Don't look around you. Don't look around. Don't focus on the shootings and the sin that's so rampant, and the violence, and the rejection of God. Don't give your focus to those things. No, no, no. Instead, focus on heaven. Your redemption is right in front of you. Jesus is coming soon. And you don't even have to go through a stoning first. All right. That's such good news. Because very soon, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then we'll be with the Lord forever. Amen. You know, the more I study the end times, the more I get excited. It's encouraging to know that the return of Jesus is so near. It's right at the door. We're about to see him face to face. Today, Jesus, right now? I mean, let's go. I want to help you look up by explaining something that will help you understand how near the return of Jesus Christ really is. 
you might as well start imagining heaven because we're going to be there soon. I'm going to preface this by saying I'm not predicting the date of his return. People take messages like this and they're like, Cade was predicting a date. I'm not. I'm not. I'm simply looking at the signs like Jesus told us to, to determine how close we really are. One of the ways Jesus explained the signs of the end times was by comparing them to birth pains. And you know, when birth pains first start, you don't know how long they're going to last. My wife and I have been through this five times in the last six years. So this is very fresh in my mind. I understand how this works. For example, it's common for women to have contractions on and off for several weeks before the baby is born. At this point, it's really hard to determine what day the baby is going to be born. You don't know. But they eventually hit this stage called transition. It's when they're fully dilated. The baby has dropped down into the birth canal. And at this point, you know it's just a few minutes away. There's no doubt about when it's going to happen. So that's where we are. We're watching all the signs of the end times converge and intensify. And it's revealing that we're right there at the end. Like it's transition time. And the closer you get to the end, the more you can see how close we really are. One of the things that can help us understand this is by taking time to understand Jewish culture. There's many things that go over our heads in the Bible because we don't understand Jewish customs. Y'all don't realize that the Bible was written by Jewish people, right? Okay. For example, the Jewish people use a different calendar than we do. Did you guys know that? We function on the Gregorian calendar, and they function on the Jewish calendar, which was designed by God and given to them in the Old Testament. The Jewish calendar is dictated by the lunar cycle, and our calendar is dictated by the solar cycle. That's the main difference. Their work week starts on Sunday, whereas ours starts on Monday. Their new year starts in the fall. Ours starts in January. There's lots of other differences, but the thing I want to teach you today is called the Shemitah cycle. Anybody ever heard of the Shemitah cycle? All right. Woohoo! Y'all are in for a treat. Here's how you spell it in case you're wondering. The Jewish calendar puts years into groups of seven. This seven-year cycle is called a Shemitah cycle. And the Shemitah is the seventh year in the cycle. And you'll often hear it referred to as a sabbatical year. It's when they would let the land rest for an entire year. We are currently in year seven of a Shemitah cycle. We are in a Shemitah year, and it ends in September. And at this point, the Shemitah cycle will begin, the next Shemitah cycle will begin at the Jewish New Year in September. And if you look back in history, you'll find something significant tends to happen on the Shemitah year. Here's a few examples for you. In 2015 and 2016, the reason there's a date range right there is because the Jewish year falls in two of, between two of our years. But there was a stock market crash. 2007 and 2008, global recession. 2001 and 2002, what? 9-11. And notice that all these things are financial catastrophes for America. Many believe that this is a result of America not honoring the sabbatical year. The Shemitah. We just work, work, work right through it and suffer the consequences of it. So for the tribulation, so what, what else is seven years, right? The tribulation. And so many believe that the, the Jewish scholars believe that the tribulation has to align with the Shemitah cycle because that's how God does things. And so for the tribulation to align with the Shemitah cycle, it would have to start this September or it would have to wait till seven years later. Everybody following? Am I explaining this well? I'm not predicting the day or the hour. I'm just helping you understand the Jewish calendar so that you can see and be prepared. Something else you'll find interesting is the Jewish feasts. They celebrate seven feasts every year. That number seven, it just keeps coming around. 
And so far, Jesus has been fulfilling prophecies about himself on a feast day. He has fulfilled four feasts so far, and he fulfilled them in order. The first feast Jesus fulfilled was Passover. The day he died on the cross, it was Passover, the Lamb of God sacrificed for our sins. Next was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus was buried on the first day of this seven-day feast, representing that a kernel of wheat being planted into the ground that will soon burst forth as the bread of life. Next was the Feast of first fruits. Jesus rose from the dead during that feast, signifying that he was the first of many who will be saved from eternal death. Next was the Feast of Weeks, also referred to as Pentecost. The body of Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit 50 days after Christ rose from the dead during the Feast of Weeks. All four of the feasts I just listed are clustered together in the springtime. And then there's a break during the summer. And then the final three feasts are in the fall. Remember when Jesus referred to summer? When he spoke about the end times, let me take you there. It's found in Matthew chapter 24. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves began to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that his return is very near right at the door. So the fig tree in this verse represents Israel becoming a nation. That happened in 1948. According to this parable, that was the beginning of summer when Israel became a nation. And summer is the break between the feasts. So, so far, Jesus has fulfilled these feasts in order. All four spring feasts have been fulfilled, and now we're just waiting on the last three feasts to be fulfilled. Guess what the next feast is? The Feast of Trumpets. We don't know for sure how Jesus will fulfill this feast, but he left us a couple clues that lead us to believe that this is the catching away of the church, also known as the rapture. The first clue is Jesus' reference to the trumpet call of God when he talked about the rapture. And the second is when Jesus said this, no one knows the day or the hour. Probably the most common quoted scripture whenever we're talking about the end times. Nobody knows. But this is actually a Hebrew idiom referring to the appearance of the new moon. When the old moon disappears until nothing is left, the new moon appears anywhere from a day and a half to three and a half days later. The only feast celebrated at the new moon is the Feast of Trumpets. They have to go out in the evening and they look for the new moon. And if they don't see it, they have to wait until the next evening and go out and do the same. The Feast of Trumpets does not begin until the new moon is clearly seen. In other words, they don't know the Check, check. They don't know the day. They don't know the hour that that feast will begin because they're waiting on the new moon. So was Jesus telling us that we won't have any idea about his coming and the timing of it? Or was he revealing that it will take place during the Feast of Trumpets? Either way, we don't know the day or the hour because the moon has to be verified first. But we, can we know the two-day window of his coming? Well, the Apostle Paul said that he's going to come like a thief in the night, right? That it will be unexpected. Let me take you there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. Hmm. Sounds like we're going to have to wait and be surprised. Or will we? Let's keep reading. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. Okay, let's keep reading. But... You aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised. 
when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. Wow. Amazing what happens when you keep reading. (laughs) You won't be surprised. The rest of the world will, but you won't. Believers who have taken time to understand what the word of God reveals about the end times, they're not going to be surprised. They're going to be like, hey, hey, Jesus, I knew you was coming. Happy to go. So can we know the two-day window of his coming? I'm going to leave that up to you. I'm not going to tell you how to think. I'm just trying to get you thinking about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Oh, one more thing. The Feast of Trumpets is the Jewish New Year Feast. Also referred to as Rosh Hashanah. Like I said earlier, this year it starts on sundown, September 25th, and ends on sundown, September 27th. I don't think I said that already, but now you know. That's when it starts, September 25th. So I'm not giving you the date of Jesus' return, but you should definitely be alert (laughs) whenever September comes around. Don't be unaware like the rest of the world. Live expecting Jesus to return because he's coming. Why do I tell you all this? I'm trying to motivate you this morning to look up. Look up. Focus on heaven. Don't get caught up in what's going on around you. Fix your gaze on heaven, just like Stephen did. The end time church is going to be marked by peace and joy. While the world is in self-destruction mode, we're going to be having the time of our lives as we're enjoying the promises of God more than we ever have before. Protection, provision, healing, deliverance, freedom. The way you take part in this is by being obedient to what Jesus told us to do during the end times. Number one, stand firm in the word of God. Do not give an inch. Stand firm. And number two, look up. Fix your gaze on heaven. Amen. Hmm. Lord, we look forward to your coming. And we ask you to use us in a great and mighty way during these last days. We're not going to sit around and wait. We're going to do what you tell us to do because you still have a plan of redemption for all those out there that don't know you yet. Give us the words to say, the things to do. Make it so clear for us, our purpose in these last days. And I ask that you remove that spirit of laziness that makes us want to sit on our fanny and just wait these things out. No, give us the boldness and the courage to stand up and take action and do what needs to be done. Lord, we love you. Is there anybody in here who has yet to make a commitment to Christ, has yet to make Jesus your Lord, and you want to do that today? Will you raise your hand for me? I don't want to leave today without giving you an opportunity to do that. Or anybody who wants to make a fresh commitment. Maybe you've been saved before, but you kind of strayed away, and you're like, oh, I'm going to commit my life to him. Recommit. Anybody want to do that? Well, if you're watching online, and that's you, it's It's simple. You make a commitment to make Jesus your Lord. There's no special prayer you have to pray. pray. There's no special dance you have to do. Just commit your life to Jesus, and he will see you through. All the way to freedom, you'll get free from sin. You'll experience healing. You'll experience the promises of God because you can only experience those things through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Whenever you commit your life to him, he washes you in that blood. All your sin washed away as if it never happened. God then sees you through the eyes of Jesus. You're completely forgiven. 
And you're not only forgiven, but you are free from that sin. You don't have to go back to it. Because Jesus Christ gives you the power to walk in freedom. Like I said earlier, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just ask him. When you get home today, just ask him. Say, I want my prayer language. He'll give it to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.